Good morning again, and to you online, welcome. Um, I, I just want to start with kind of a disclaimer this morning. Um, you know how there are some sections of Scripture that are so, so relevant for the time that you're in, and then there are others that seem like kind of just put that on the back burner. We'll need that at another point. Um, and I'll just kind of tell you, this, this one that we're getting to this morning is kind of irrelevant right now, particularly. And so it's one of those you just file away because you're going to need it at some point along this journey. And so I'm just going to start reading, and, and you'll kind of see what I'm talking about. Um, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And then skipping down to verse 12, so in everything do to others as you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So, I mean, as, as you can see, kind of irrelevant right now at this moment, but someday off in the future will probably be pretty important for you to, to remember and understand. How many people have felt judged recently? Show of hands. Anyone? Okay, I think the rest of you are lying. So now, how many people have felt judged recently? Okay, I just judged you. If you weren't raising your hand, I called you a liar. So now everyone can raise their hand, right? And let's just talk about this virus thing for a second. How many people have felt judged because, and let's not do a show of hands for this part, how many people have felt judged because they think everybody should wear a mask all the time? Or you think no one should wear a mask at all? How many people have felt judged because they think this COVID thing is crazy overblown? Or, or felt judged because you think this is a really big deal and you feel like other people don't share your sentiments? Judged because you're having to make a really difficult decision as a parent whether or not you're going to send your kids back to school. Judged because you want to keep your kids home because you think it's safer. Judged because you're making decisions because you've lost a family member or a friend to this virus. Judged because you're making your decisions because you don't really know anyone who has had the virus. And there are some here judged because you are trying to make the very, very best decision for you personally and your family and those that you care about with the information that you have. Did I get everyone? And that's just talking about COVID-19 and this virus. Anyone feel judged? Um, with their economic opinions, political opinions, um, your views about racial injustice. 
I mean, all of us recently, I would say, have had that feeling of being judged for some reason or another. And thankfully, we have that safe little cocoon of social media that shelters us from that, and so we don't really feel it or see it there. And like I said, this is one of those sermons that you're probably just going to want to file away because you'll need it at another time because it's not super, super relevant to what's going on today. But when you hear words like these, do not judge. Here's what your tendency is, and I I think this is true of all of you because it's true of me, and I think it's very much a part of our human nature. When you hear this, your mind automatically starts filtering through all of the people in your life that need to hear this message. Oh, and they they need to hear, oh, I wish they could be here. I I wish, because they need to hear it, because... So here's what I want you to do today. I want you to push back against that pull with everything you have this morning. And simply ask the question, what does God want you to hear this morning? Not what does He have your neighbor What does he want them to hear? Not does the the person on social media that constantly is judging people, not your in-laws, what does God want you to hear? And so this morning, I want to kind of break this sermon into two parts. And we're going to do part one today, and part two we'll come back to next week. That's one of the things I'm learning, is that it's okay to take one long hour and a half sermon and make it two 45-minute sermons. Um, no, no, I, I, I do want to kind of address this as all one section, and so we'll do part one today. Um, and talking about this, I'm going to break it into three chunks. And so the first chunk is Matthew 7, 1 through 5, and then Matthew 6 through 11, which we'll get to next week which when you read it in the context of 1 through 12, it seems a bit out of place. It seems kind of like it doesn't quite fit with the rest of it. And then 7, 12, which he finishes, which which I think ties together everything so well that he's saying, but the question is, like, how does this chunk 2 fit into the big picture? And so, like I said, we'll get to that next week, but we really need to set up what happens in these first two So he starts out, do not judge, which is easy to do, right? Pretty easy to do. Don't judge because you too will be judged. So do not judge. And the question then is, what does he mean by this word judge? Well, first of all, it's not a judicial sense. Um, And we've had people throughout history that have kind of looked at it that way and said, well, if you're a Christian, you can't sit as a judge. But I think that's not the point of this. Um, It's not the sense of divine judgment. And Jesus talks about in Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats are going to be separated. I, I think it's clear to most of us in the context what he's talking about. 
And it's the idea of judging other people because we all have a tendency to judge too quickly, to judge unfairly, and to push harsh judgments on other people. Every one of us falls into that trap. And I don't care how old you are or how young you are. It is simply part of our nature as human beings. We judge. But I want to talk for just a second about the problem with me judging. Okay? I'm not going to tell you this is your problem because this might not happen in your life. And I haven't talked to enough people about this to see if this is kind of a universal truth or it's just mine. So I'm going to tell you what happens to me. And what's crazy about this is all of this happens beneath the surface. You, you never get to see a part of it. So first of all, here's what I do. Um, number one, Haley, if you can skip down. Sorry. I, there we go. First, I assume the worst. I assume the worst about this person, right? I, I make a judgment. It's never assuming the best. It, it's that, that mom who has the unruly kid in the grocery store who I know I'm a much better parent than. And if they would be like me, then their kid wouldn't be doing that. Re and really easy to do when, when you don't have kids, or when your kids aren't at the age where they talk back yet. Second, I judge their motives, right? The guy standing holding the, the sign on the corner. If I were to give them money, do you know what they're going to do? They're going to go buy drugs or alcohol with it. They're, they're just trying to get attention. They're trying to get, I start judging motives. Again, this is me. This, this might not be you on every level. I assume the worst. I judge their motives. Three, I start to attack their character. And, and with attacking their character comes accusation and blame. I start pointing the finger. I start accusing them of things, which is a spirit that we see in the very, very beginning in the fabric of creation, the serpent who comes into the garden and starts to make accusations about the character of God. God is holding back from you. There is goodness that God has to give that he's not giving to you. And if he loved you, he would give you everything and allow you to see clearly. And as they eat this fruit, that, that, that accusation, that blame starts to seep into the fabric of the rest of creation. And the man says, well, it's this, this woman. Let's blame her. She, she's the one. Let's make this accusation. And the woman says, well, it's this serpent. He's to blame. They're, they're the one to blame. And, and so on and so forth. It was my brother. It was his fault that God is pleased with him and not with me. And it comes to this crescendo with Jesus on a cross. Blamed, accused, attacked, motives questioned, assuming the worst about him, and yet dies completely innocent of what they are claiming he's done. So I start to attack their character. Four, I disregard their identity. 
it, it makes it really hard when I start to assume the worst about them, when I start to judge their motives, when I start to attack, it makes it really difficult to see their identity as an image of God and understand who they are. It's so difficult to separate the two, their actions from their identity. And five, I elevate my pride. I start to think of myself better than I am. And no, no place better in Scripture, I think, that illustrates these five steps than Luke chapter 18. And starting in verse 9, he says, Two men went up to the temple, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And you can see the scenario as he's pointing his finger, even like this tax collector right here. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Do you see it? He starts to assume the worst. He starts to attack their motives. He starts to attack his character. He starts to elevate his pride. Can you see it in yourself? And like I said, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just something I struggle with and I have a tendency to do. But my guess is, for every single person in here, there's been times in your life where you felt judged. But just as true as you have felt judged, there have been times in your life where you have judged others. And here's the response of the tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's really difficult at times to see ourselves as the sinner. Especially when we're constantly pointing the finger at all those we consider sinners. But ultimately, judging is a form of comparison. When you judge someone, you are making a comparison. And when you judge, you're making an assumption based on what I know about me and what I don't know about them. That, that mom in the grocery store that it's so easy to point the finger at because her child seems out of control. And we don't know her story. We may not know that just yesterday she watched her husband board a plane and fly off as a member of the military to fight for our country. Or you don't know that that boy standing on the corner was abandoned by his parents and has lived every day on his own doing his best to make ends meet. We always assume the worst in those situations. And the challenge, and I think what Jesus is challenging you and I with, is to step back 
and to see a bigger picture. And the bigger picture is not about them. Because what those judgments do is they actually reveal our insecurities. They reveal the insecurities we have with our standing, with our identity. And we're not comfortable or confident with. And so he tells you, do not judge. And he says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then Jesus throws in a little bit of comedy. I think he wants you to see something kind of comical in this. Because you can just imagine what this looks like. Why would you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Again, Jesus is the only one who uses that word hypocrite, which is a stage actor, a performer, someone who puts on a show who pretends. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So there is a um, medical condition, a common eye infection, and it's called pink eye. Anyone ever have pink eye? And pink eye is always caused by an external source. Right? Something has done something to irritate or inflame the white in our eye. Jeff, don't judge my medical terms to inflame or infect our eyes. And it's something external that's entered. But there is a, a spiritual common eye infection, and I think Jesus would call it plank eye. And I actually have a, an idea of what it looks like. I don't want to scratch my glasses. It looks about like this. And here's the crazy thing. Here's why it's kind of comical. Because you can imagine someone walking around like this. And how crazy it would look if they were walking around and just saying, hey, do you know that there is a speck of sawdust in your eye? There is, and I need to get it. Chuck, can I come talk to you? There, there's something in your eye I need to get. And it's... It's, but it keeps us at a distance. And if you see other people, <laughs> if I were mad at Chuck, it keeps us at a distance, and it makes it really hard to see what we're looking at. And it makes it really hard for us to get close enough to have a relationship with that person. And here's what plank eye does. Is inevitably, it hurts other people. Here, Laura. Just tell me when you got it. Good? Okay, yeah. Inevitably, it makes it really difficult to not hurt someone else. 
See, and here's, here's Jesus' point. Every single person has a plank in their eye. And I don't know what it is. Because just like I said about the, the problems that I have, all of them are below the surface. And no one gets to see them except me. Because where pink eye is caused by an external, plank eye is always caused by an internal infection. It's something from the inside that starts to create an infection that's noticed on the outside. See, the infection is not in your eye. It's in your heart. You see, Jesus' hope is that in some way we would catch a glimpse of our own humanity. That, that we would see the problem. There's an ethics professor who begins every year with a question in his class. Who does monkey girl marry? And the answer is alligator man. And this is a true story. In the 1930s, back when we had what they called sideshow freaks as a part of circuses, there was a lady named Monkey Girl, or at least that was what they called her before political correctness became a big deal. And she had hair all over her face and long, silky hair all over her body. And she met and fell in love with a guy named Alligator Man. Or at least that's what he went by. And he had this reptilian-like skin. And they met as a part of a sideshow and fell in love. And in 1938, were married. And became known as the oddest couple in the history of the world. And what's funny about this is Monkey Girl's parents completely rejected the idea of her marrying Alligator Man because they thought he was beneath her. And the ethics professor asked this question. He said, so when Monkey Girl and Alligator Man get into a knock-down, drag-out argument, what do you think it is that Monkey Girl says to Alligator Man? Because his guess is it's something like, how in the world did I decide to marry a freak like you? Only to step just to the side and catch a glimpse of his own reflection in the mirror. And the point of his question, I think, is pretty obvious. Within all of us, there are some things that are not perfect. Within all of us, there are some planks in our eye that we tend to carry around, that we walk around with. And when we don't address them, they have a tendency to wound other people, to hurt them, to hit them upside the head, to knock them out because they never saw it coming. When at the whole time it keeps us at a distance so that we're unable to see them as a person. So I think Jesus' point here is not don't ever, 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 ever judge 
anyone else, but rather be very generous in your judgments of others. And we're going to call it this, it's the benefit of the doubt principle. Always give other people the benefit of the doubt. When you see that person who said something about you, just start by simply asking yourself the question, what is the absolute best way I could hear that? When someone disagrees with you or has a differing opinion, instead of just saying, well, it's them, and start attacking their character and questioning their motives and elevating your pride, that we reduce it and we simply say, okay, Let's have a conversation. Let's be generous in our judgment towards other people. The mom at Walmart with the out-of-control kids. Where it's so easy to say, well, if they had been a better parent, if they practiced discipline in their home, if their marriage was stronger, if they were better parents, hopefully it's not just me that makes those judgments. The man on the corner holding a sign. Before we start throwing out the blame and accusation, because here's the deal. I mean, come on. We know why he's there. We know how he got there. We're pretty sure we know his history. We know confidently how he can get off that corner. And if he would just follow our advice, and do things like we did things, he wouldn't be where he was. People who have different political affiliations or differ from yours. See, the question, and I think what Jesus wants us to wrestle with, is do these snap judgments, do they make the world a better place? Or do they have the potential to tear down and break down relationship between other people? Because when God gives the Mosaic Law and He gives the Ten Commandments, there's these first four that are about a relationship with God, but then there are the the last six that are all about our relationship with other people, how we relate to one another. And key and a part of the kingdom is is to love God and to love others. It's, It's all about relationship. And these quick judgments that we make tear down relationship so bad. See, it's not just don't judge. It's be generous in your judgments because Jesus is going to turn around and He's going to spend the rest of chapter 7 telling you to make some judgments for yourself. Right? He's going to tell you to make some judgments. He's going to tell you there are two roads and you've got to judge which one is right. There's two trees, and you've got to judge, and there's two houses, and there's two kingdoms. Be generous in your judgment. And the the word that we're going to come back and look at next week is this idea of discernment. Because part of judging is using good discernment and wisdom. So how do we do that? So do not judge. Fight against the urge to be hypercritical of everyone. Because it's always easier to see what's wrong in everyone else than to see what's wrong in yourself. And here's what happens. A hypercritical person creates a hypocritical attitude. 
a hypercritical person. Someone who walks around and says, let me tell you what's wrong with you. Let me tell you where you're falling short. Let me tell you where you're messing up. Will always create a hypocritical attitude. Because you can never live up to the standards that you set for everyone else. And so you will always come across looking like a hypocrite. So here's the deal. Spiritually generous people give grace and not judgment. When we talk about discernment, we're going to talk about judging actions and attitudes and not people. As Paul says in Ephesians, our battle is not against flesh and blood, it's against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark age. What Paul says, if it has flesh and blood, it's not your enemy. It's not where your judgment lies. It's on these spiritual forces of evil going on all around us. That's the enemy. That's the problem. And when we judge people, instead of discerning actions and attitudes, we start to make enemies out of people who are supposed to be image bearers. And that makes it really difficult to love our neighbor as ourself. It makes it really difficult to forgive as God forgave you. It makes it really difficult to pray for those who persecute you. Because you see a problem and not a person. So Jesus finishes kind of this section in verse 12, and he says this. So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. Let me just ask a simple, simple question. If we started right here, and we just decide in everything and, and by the way, I didn't highlight this on the screen, but this word in everything in the Greek means everything. Do to others what you would have them do to you. What if we began there? What if we began right there? And we started treating others the way we wanted to be treated. We started to give others the benefit of the doubt. We, we stopped um, or started keeping our hypocritical judgments to ourselves, And we stopped placing our expectations on other people. And the question is, how do we do that? How, how do we do that? And, and we have within us this default to judge and we kind of need to rewrite our programming and change that a little bit. Like reboot the system and start over. And where we feel that temptation to judge, how about we start to pray? So here, here's what I want you to do. The next time you're in Walmart or Brookshire's and that lady's pushing the shopping cart and you see her kid acting up, and your tendency is everything within you starting to say, you know what her problem is? 
just stop yourself and just say, God, I want to lift up this young mom. I don't know what's going on in her life. I don't know how hard it is to be in her situation. I don't know her whole story. I don't know underlying conditions with her kid. But Father, I know right now she's having a really difficult time. And God, I would like you to bless her today. And then when you walk by, just say, hey, I want you to know I prayed for you. Just not in a condemning way, but a gracious and loving way. Because maybe that's the only encouragement she ever gets. Wouldn't it be nice if people gave you the benefit of the doubt in that same way rather than jumping to judgments? I think our world would be a better place. But like I said, this doesn't start with what's happening on the outside. It simply comes as we deal with the infection on the inside. Because in the end, in the end, when you get to to heaven, and we talk about that divine judgment, when you get to the end and you stand before God, I don't think the conversation is going to be, you know, Gary, overall I'm really proud of you. But I wish, wish you'd been more hypercritical of everyone else. I, I wish you would have made sure you knew you were, they were ju- or that you were judging them with more harshness. I, I wish while you were here on earth, you had made the world a better place by holding expectations over them that you couldn't live up to yourself. But rather in the end, when I stand before God and my hands are empty and I can say simply, God, this is what I have to give. My hope is I will hear those words, good and faithful servant, come in. Because as I have been gracious and generous to you, you have been gracious and generous to everyone else. Because if that would form our life, that Christ-likeness living in us, the, the one who has every reason to judge everyone and yet chooses to not, to give grace and to give mercy and to be generous in His judgments, It begins with removing this from our eye and dealing with what's going on in here before we can ever address making this better out here. And it begins with a really simple prayer. And I'm just going to let you pray it by yourself silently where we are. Um, If you can go back to Luke, Haley, the verse 13. 
He says, but the tax collector stood at a distance, and he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I just want us to begin today with that prayer. I'm just going to ask you wherever you are, if you're online, at home, if you're in the room, just to close your eyes. And I'm going to pray it the first time. And then I'm just going to allow you to repeat it. And, and where the tendency is just to say these words, hear them. Not with your ears, but with your heart and your soul. Let them sink in deep. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, I don't know about everyone else. But Father, so many times I say those words casually without really realizing the reality of them. Because Father, I'm trapped in an awful game of comparison and judgment to where I find myself thinking I'm better than everyone else. And Father, that is simply plank eye. God, help remove the plank within my own eye so that I can see clearly. Help me practice generosity of spirit and giving, the peop- giving people the benefit of the doubt. And not being overly critical and using harsh words and judging. Because right now, Father, there are so many things that we want to judge in our world. So many different opinions. And, and Father, they're everywhere. They're so, um, so easily accessible. We tell everyone everywhere what we're thinking constantly. And Father, we need to practice James' words to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Father, remind us that we are sinners saved by grace and that we stand before You sinners who have been redeemed and made whole. Not because of our own goodness, not because of our own strength, but Father, entirely because of yours. Because the plank that hits you is something that you took to the cross. The plank of so many people who saw your, saw your motives as wrong, who attacked your character. And yet, Father, you humbled yourself and went to a cross and died loving and forgiving this world. And so, Father, we thank You. 
God, in these beautiful words of this prayer. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Together, as the church, we confess we are sinful. And together we lift up this prayer to you. Lord, save us. In Jesus' name, amen.